The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird. You're on the line here in the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird solo in the show today as my good friend and uh, co-host, Jacob Goins, is calling some Lee Scott Academy baseball on the road on AU100, uh, 100.3 FM, AU100FM.com, and the AU100 app later today if you want to check that out. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm solo in the show here today, and uh, I figure we'd kick things off talking about um, kind of what's going on in the transfer portal about basketball. Uh, because the basketball portal seems to be a little more livelier than the football portal to this point in time, uh, and things continue to move. I still think we got plenty of time to know what is going to take place in the basketball portal because it is a significantly longer window than the football portal. It's four times longer. It's 60 days from the national championship, the day after the national championship game, uh, so there's still plenty of time to go here. Uh, as players continue to declare for the NBA draft, to go pro, hit the portal, all sorts of things going on. Uh, and Auburn's got some news right now in the transfer portal uh, with the FSU transfer guard Matthew, transfer wing rather, kind of a guard forward. Uh, Matthew Cleveland is currently on campus for a visit today. Um, he's a six foot seven, 200 pound transfer out of Florida State. Last year, he's a pretty good player. Uh, 13.8 points per game, 7.4 rebounds, and 1.8 assists per game. Uh, 44.5% from the field, 35% from three, uh, and just 69% at the free throw line. So that needs to get better for sure. But I tell you what, this would be a welcome addition to this Auburn basketball roster. This is adding length and scoring ability uh, that Auburn didn't really have last year. Auburn was not a big team this past year, whether it be Wendell Green or uh, Zeb Jasper wasn't the biggest guard ever. Uh, Trey Donaldson's not the biggest guard ever, although he is he is bigger than the other guards. Katie Johnson is not big either. Um, Auburn was not overly huge down low. Uh, you did have 6'11", uh, Dylan Cardwell, but you had... Janai Broom at 6'10", uh, Jalen Williams at 6'7", 6'8", maybe 6'9", uh, playing that four spot. And it was really, you didn't have a lot of length, you didn't have a lot of physicality, and at, in some places, you didn't have elite athleticism. I mean, at the end of the year, you had Chris Moore at 6'5", playing the backup four. It was certainly interesting to see how the Auburn roster evolved over this past season something we think we've seen so far this year in the transfer portal. Auburn's attacking the portal and looking to add length. They're looking to add bigger guards, longer guys who can play the three, play the four, even play the two. 
and they're looking to add shooting because we know Auburn was a really bad three-point shooting team this past year. The numbers back that up. They were uh, from three, just 31.5% from deep. That is good for 309th in the country out of 363 teams. We know that uh, in average height, they were 211th in the country. Um, So I think that when you look at this Auburn team, when you look at what it's going to look like at face value to this point in time, Auburn's going to be bigger. Auburn's going to be bigger, and Auburn's going to shoot the three better. We've already seen the the addition of Denver Jones, the Florida international transfer, a guy from the state of Alabama, six foot four, one hundred ninety five pounds, out of New Market, Alabama, went to Florida International, where this past as a freshman he averaged twelve and a half points per game, three point seven rebounds per game, two point three assists. And he shot, he didn't shoot great his freshman year, 38.8% from the field. He was 34.5% from three, and he was 89.6% at the free throw line. That's pretty strong right there. That is, Auburn's not been a good free throw shooting team. Auburn was 269th in the country this past year at 69.6%. So Matthew Cleveland at 69% is kind of right in line with what they were this past year. But then in his sophomore season at Florida International, we saw Denver Jones really take off. 20.1 points per game, 3.8 rebounds. So he got eight points, 7.6 points per game better in scoring. Rebounding numbers went up slightly. Two assists. The offense really ran through him, it looks like. He had some strong performances against postseason tournament teams, whether they be NIT teams or NCAA tournament teams. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. His performances against UAB, against North Texas, uh, against FAU. Uh, I think NC State was on that list as well. He shot 47.8% from the field this past year. That two-point field goal percentage went up from 42.8 to 55.2. If you have a guy who's shooting 55.2% from two, That is really strong. But what gets me excited is all of these numbers are going up, and that includes three-point percentage where he goes from 34.5% from three to 37.1%. The free throw percentage comes down from 89.6 to 84.5. That's still a really strong number, and that would still put him about the best free throw shooter on Auburn's roster this past year had he been on the team. So Denver Jones is a great addition to this Auburn roster. We've known about him for a while. It's been really, really strong to add him. You've also added Chaney Johnson, the UAH wing, the forward from from, uh, Alabaster, Alabama, who went to UAH, played uh, three seasons there, was there for four years. He redshirted his first year at UAH. And... When you look at his numbers, didn't play a lot in his first year out there on the court as a redshirt freshman, just 11 and a half minutes, uh, averaged about 4.4 points. Um, He was a 39% three-point shooter. Uh, He was somebody who went and got a couple rebounds a game. But then over the course of the next two years, we saw him develop into a really strong player. 
I guess he got a COVID year for that next year because he's still listed technically as a freshman on on that team. Uh, he was 16.8 points per game, 58.6% from the field. That is so good. That is unbelievable because that, that takes into account that's full field goal percentage, not, not two-point field goal percentage. He was 46.4% from three in his second year actually out there on the court for UAH. That's unbelievable. 74.8% from the line. Close to uh, 3.8, 3.9 rebounds per game. Or re- actually, scratch that. 5.67 rebounds per game. 1.18 assists. And then this past year, his role continued to develop. He, the minutes went up a little bit more. Scoring went down a hair. 15.94 points per game. Uh, continued to shoot well from the field. 51.8%. He was... Uh, Three point shooting went down a little bit. Twenty nine, well, actually, a good, a good bit. Twenty nine point six. But he is somebody who can hit from three for his career at UAH. Thirty seven point six percent from deep. He was seventy six point six percent at the line. Six point six rebound guy. One point five seven assists. Really good player there, and he's got length as well. He's six foot seven. He's he's two hundred and fifteen pounds. He was the GSC Conference Player of the Year. That's another great addition. And I think he gives you some flexibility. He can play the three. He can play the four. I think you're going to see him get more time at the four. That's just me personally. But you combine that with the addition of Denver Jones already, who at six foot four can play the two, where I think he will start, but also could play the three, and some smaller lineups if you wanted KD Johnson on the court with him as well. That brings us back to Matthew Cleveland, who's on campus right now. Matthew Cleveland would be another 6'7 wing who can come in and give you significant minutes at the three. Significant minutes. And you can rely on him to go get you double-digit points every night. And all three of these guys, if you if they were to be on the roster... In 23-24. Significantly make this Auburn team better. I think they complement each other well. I think you've got some shooting in Denver Jones. You've got some shooting in Chaney Johnson. And I'm curious. Chaney Johnson, if in a situation where he can be the, let's say, fourth option. Fifth, or the fourth option on the court when he's out there. Because he may not start at the four. He may not start at the three. Do you see those shooting percentages rise even more? Do you see him return to that first year where he shot well over 40% from three? It'd be really impressive if he did. But I like the idea of adding Matthew Cleveland. I think it'd be a big bonus for this roster. And I am curious, where does this board stand for Auburn? Let's look at what Auburn has right now by my count. You have Aiden Holloway and Trey Donaldson at the point guard position. Neither guy has taken command of a team at point guard in college. Trey Donaldson showed you a lot of things, a lot of flashes over the course of the year that you really like. You saw the three-point shooting come around there late. He did not miss from three in the NCAA tournament. I think he was nine, nine of nine. 
if he can be a good three-point shooting option and you see him maybe lean up a little bit because I think he had a little bit of that high school safety body. He was a four-star safety coming out of high school, signed with Auburn, uh, was a three-star point guard. I love his vision. I love his passing. I think he could could it would benefit him to drop a little bit of weight, maybe get a little quicker, a little faster and and still have that court vision, still develop that three-point shot. And whether he starts or whether he's coming off the bench, I think he can be a really really key piece for this Auburn team moving forward. Aiden Holloway, McDonald's All-American, five-star point guard, has played really well. Uh, in the McDonald's All-American game, we've seen him play well in other showcase uh, setups. He can shoot from three. There's a video of him in the Trailblazers uh, facility hitting like 15 of 16 threes, just roaming around the three-point line, catching, shooting. He's got some quickness. He's got some twitchiness to him. I like the way he can finish at the rim and protect the basketball. I think you upgrade... It may be a little rocky at first as these two guys kind of get their feet under underneath them. As they get their feet wet, playing significant minutes at the college level. But I think you upgrade at the point guard position. I think both of these guys combined will give you more than Wendell Green and Trey Donaldson did this past year. You look at the shooting guard percentage, that two, er, position, that, that two role. Denver Jones walks in, I think he starts. I think he's too good of a player, he's too good of a scorer to not walk on walk on campus and start at that position. Right now that gives you KD Johnson as your backup, which I like. He's a guy who plays good defense. He's a guy that fixed his shot over the course of this past year, started putting more air under it, and we saw him become a really good three-point shooter in the last month and a half of the year. And when that happened, we saw his drive game resurface. We saw him be able to put it on the deck, get downhill, get to the rim. We saw him be able to get back to the free throw line. The free throw numbers have to get better. It was one of the weirder head-scratching things of this year was he is traditionally a good free throw shooter he got significantly worse over SEC play this past year the small forward position that three role you know Chris Moore is going to be back right now as it stands I think he'll be your backup uh, he, he will be a backup at the three I like him when he is fully healthy I think he was your better three in the first half of the year before the shoulder injury I think he shot it extremely well from deep early. I think that shoulder injury, I think he was unsure of his shot after that. Uh, but he's a guy who does the, does the dirty work for you. He's not a huge guy at 6'5", six 6'6", foot six foot six, but he's strong. He'll go get you some rebounds. He'll be physical. He'll play really hard. I like him in that role. At the four position, Jalen Williams your returning starter. I know he declared for the NBA draft. I don't think he's there yet. I don't think he's good enough to go pro. But Jalen Williams, we've seen the flashes. We know he's got freaky athleticism. 
We know he he is really, really good when it clicks in games. Just sometimes he can disappear. That's the one. That's my one knock on him. That's the one thing I don't love. If he flips that switch, gets that dog mentality, that killer instinct, he's an NBA guy. He's the most talented guy on Auburn's roster this past year. And there were moments where it was undeniable. But then there's moments where he disappeared. He's got to rebound a heck of a lot better than he did down the stretch this past year. He's too big at six foot eight and 230 pounds to not be a 6'7 rebound a game guy to me. He's got to rebound better. He was 35.4% from three. He can shoot a little bit. We saw that little middle-of-the-zone floater. His passing ability is really, really good for a four-man. You've got him and, in my mind, Chaney Johnson at the four. I think Chaney Johnson can push him. And Chaney Johnson might be what Jalen Williams needs to push him to maybe flip that switch that we saw Chuma Okiki, that we saw Isaac Koro flip and just go to a different level, become become NBA caliber players, become high NBA draft picks. Jabari, Jabari flipped that switch in like game six or seven, that UConn game his year. And, and I think Jalen, Chaney Johnson will be good for Jalen because it's not somebody who I think immediately is just like walks in and kind of like Jabari did and was the most talented player on the team and relegated him to a backup role. Chaney Johnson, somebody who can push Jalen, but is not necessarily better than Jalen. And Jalen, if he works hard and he finds that mentality, I think he'll still start. At the five, you have Jani Broom. We know what he can do. He gets rebounds. He has great post moves. He's got to shoot the free throw better. He started to find a little bit of a three-point shot at the end of the year that I think benefited him some. He's got to get bigger and stronger and tougher. That's my one thing. He's a great player, and Auburn would have been in a lot of trouble without him this past year. But Jani Broom has to get bigger and stronger and tougher to day in, day out, compete with the bigs in the SEC and the physicality of, of this league. Dylan Cardwell, backup five, fine with it. Uh, solid player, can be physical, just need him to stay healthy, uh, have him continue to develop. I don't think you're going to find some sort of upgrade over him. And that's where things stand in my mind right now. We saw Bruce Pearl yesterday say that Alan Flanagan is evaluating his options about going pro or going somewhere else. Personally, I don't think Alan Flanagan is going to be a part of this roster. That's just my opinion, and I think that an indication of that is how aggressively Auburn has gone after a couple options at the three. And we'll talk more about that later, but we need to hit our first break of the show. When we come back, I do have a question of the day that I want to ask and kind of get your thoughts on as the listener. Feel free to call in at 334 321 1390 question of the day coming up after the break you are on the line on espn 1067 online at espnau.com or on the espn 1067 app welcome back to the wednesday edition of on the line uh because i wasn't here monday it makes me feel like it's kind of a tuesday in here but uh question of the day 
Just how good can this Auburn basketball team be in the 23-24 season? That's my question for you. If you have thoughts, feel free to call in at 334-321-1390. And I'll start it off by saying I love the additions so far. By adding Denver Jones and adding Chaney Johnson, you've added length, you've added shooting, you've added playmaking ability. And with with that's also with Aiden Holloway coming in. I, I almost forgot about him. You can't forget about the five-star point guard that is coming in the door. You removed a little bit of how, what I perceive to be, and I'm speculating here, maybe some selfish nature on the team. Some some guys who wanted bigger roles. Some guys who wanted more of the limelight. Uh, so whether it be the freshmen that are going out the door or um, potentially, or Wendell Green. And again, Alan Flanagan, we still don't know what's going to happen there officially. I personally do not believe he's going to be a part of this roster. With his dad leaving the program, going to Ole Miss... I think that if I were to tier the potential options for somebody like Alan Flanagan, I would say pro ball somewhere is probably the top option. Ole Miss is probably the second option. And then staying at Auburn is the least likely of those three. You removed the scholarships that do not give you any production. You don't have those players on the roster Chance Westry, who I think could have been something. I think the injury set him back, and I think that the the Auburn staff did everything they could, everything right with him, and all the messaging was there to bring him back and develop him into a key player. I think that, that exit surprised this staff, but I think they took it in stride, and I, and I think, personally, Auburn can find a Chance Westry out there. I know Chance Westry's going to Syracuse. Syracuse ain't the same that it used to be. Let's be very honest there. I don't think that's going to be this critical, huge loss, especially if Auburn can add the players that I think it has the chance to add. You remove Yoan Treor, and, and to me it's telling, despite all of the interest that he allegedly had, that was reported everywhere, including Alabama, interestingly enough, with all of the, uh, with how highly he was rated in some of these transfer rankings, he he ended up at UC Santa Barbara, which is a solid mid-major team. They made the tournament this past year, but that's telling to me. And I don't think he was going to give you anything this next year. You also, you had stretch, uh, Babatunde Akingbola, he moved on as well. He hasn't really played in his entire time at Auburn. I think that's just a move so he can go play somewhere, and I think it's beneficial to him. So that opened up three scholarships. Wendell Green out the door, four scholarships. We still don't know what's going to happen with Alan Flanagan. That's up in the air. But I think you improved so far defensively. I think you've added significant length with Denver Jones and with Chaney Johnson. And I think this staff is continuing to look to add more shooting because you are a really bad three-point shooting team. You were 31.5% from deep this past year. 
your additions of of Denver Jones, 37% this past year. Chaney Johnson, 37% for his entire career. Those are both upgrades from a shooting perspective. They could could space the floor out some. They can make some room for Jani Broom to not have the entire defense collapse on him because they don't have to respect the three-point shot because Auburn's a bad three-point shooting team. That narrative may be starting to change, and maybe that truly unlocks a different level out of Jani Broom. So you have all of that, and you're continuing to look to add length. Matthew Cleveland, six foot seven, another long wing. You bring him in, that's two six foot seven ling- wings, one of which will probably play the four in my mind, and the other, uh, you also have a six foot four two guard coming in the door. That's a lot more length than Auburn's had. And Matthew Cleveland at 35% from three, let's be honest, Auburn would take that in a heartbeat. Because Auburn has not shot like that. I think this team has every bit a chance to be a top 15 caliber team, depending on how this transfer portal window shakes out. I look forward to seeing what to seeing what happens. Maybe some stuff shakes out by the weekend. We need to hit our second break here of hour number one. When we come back, we will continue to talk a little bit of basketball because I still have some more thoughts here on On the Line. Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Welcome back to On the Line on this wonderful Wednesday outside. Uh, it's not raining or anything, and we've we've got a nice little streak going, uh, at least when I've been in Auburn, that it hasn't really rained all that much recently, which is very shocking because we had a, so much rain for so, for so long. But we've been talking a lot about Auburn basketball here today on the line. Uh, Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio. Uh, my co-host Jacob Goins is calling Lee Scott Academy Baseball today, so I'm solo in the entire show. Uh, we do have some guests coming up, by the way. We have Trey Wallace of Outkick at 3 o'clock, and then we have Daryl Daffrich, the Montgomery Radio legend, uh, coming on at 3.30 to talk some Auburn football uh, and basketball as well. But we've been talking a lot about Auburn basketball to this point today. Uh, and I want to continue to talk about where does this roster kind of sit. Um, we know that Wendell Green, Chance Wester, Yoan Traylor, and Stretch Akingbola have all left the roster. That's freed up some scholarships. We know Alan Flanagan is continuing to weigh his option, according to Bruce Pearl. Uh, I think the reason why he has not declared for the NBA draft is I think there is a rule that once you declare for the draft a third time, which... Frankly, I didn't even realize that he's declared twice already. I guess he has uh, after the 21 season and after last year he did it. Uh, Once you declare for the draft a third time, you cannot come back to college, uh, which there's been some gray area with that rule. I've heard uh, it used to be once you declare for the draft a second time, you could not come back. Uh, And then I had somebody try to tell me that that rule had gone away. Well, it turns out it might be if you declare three times you have to stay in the draft or you're not allowed to come back to college. Uh, So he's weighing his options. I still think that um, you have um, the option of him transferring. He has yet to transfer in his Auburn career. I think you could see him transferring to Ole Miss to play for his father again. Uh, Wes Flanagan, who joined Chris Beard's staff, uh, will be year one 
under Chris Beards of the Chris Beard era at Ole Miss. I think that team will get better in a hurry. I do wonder what the ceiling is at Ole Miss, a place like Ole Miss. I think it's harder to acquire talent because you're farther away from talent than you are at a place like Auburn. And the SEC is just so competitive right now. It's difficult to continue to add uh, talent right now in this league. So where does that leave this? With Aiden Holloway, Trey Donaldson at the one, Denver Jones, Katie Johnson at the two, Chris Moore at the small four position, Jalen Williams, Chaney Johnson at the four, and Janai Broom and Dylan Cardwell at the five. That's nine scholarship guys right there. If Alan Flanagan comes back, that is ten. That leaves you three scholarships to go out there and use. If Alan Flanagan does not come back, that leaves you four scholarships to go out there and use. And how does Auburn plan to attack that? I could see Auburn adding one more two. A guy who can play the two or the three. Maybe a Denver Jones-sized guy with some positional flexibility, some versatility. I could see Auburn adding somebody like that. I also think Auburn's going to try to go out there and add a couple threes. A couple guys to play the wing. We know Jalen Tyson is on that list. And Jalen Tyson's a very talented player. That cannot be denied. I mean, he was a big-time recruit coming out of high school. He went to Texas, didn't play a lot there his, his first year. Was the number 36 player in the country coming out of high school, a four-star, a bigger player. He's six foot seven, two ten, kind of in that mold that we've seen Auburn go after here with Matthew Cleveland, with Cheney Johnson, six foot seven, two hundred plus pounds, two hundred to two fifteen. Cheney Johnson is the two fifteen player. Uh, Matthew Cleveland is the two hundred pound player. And Jalen Tyson, I think, would be in terms of his his skill set, his talent level. I think he would be a very Strong addition. At Texas, barely played. Around seven minutes a game. A couple points per game. Uh, a rebound. Half an assist. Last year at Texas Tech, where he transferred to 10.7 points per game. 6.1 rebounds per game. 1.3 assists per game. He, he was a 48.3% field goal shooter from the field. He was 72.3% at the line which would be an upgrade over Auburn's average at 69.6%. Still not great, but he was a really good three-point shooter. He was 40.2% from deep. He is a very solid player. He had 18 points on February 21st at Oklahoma. He had 27 points at West Virginia This year, he had multiple 18, 19-point games, a 20-point game at Oklahoma State. He would be a player who would give you just more shooting, more playmaking on this Auburn team. And I think it would be another very welcome addition to the roster. I wonder where Auburn sits with him. I know, uh, I believe... Matthew Cleveland, it's down to Auburn, Missouri, and I forget who the third is. I know it's another M school. Maybe it's Michigan. Um, With with 
a guy like Jalen Tyson, it sounds like it's coming down to Auburn, Kansas, where he has a visit set up this weekend, and a team like Cal and Stanford. Those are the other teams on the list. Sounds like Cal actually might have some momentum. I do wonder what that means. Could Auburn and Kansas be taking their foot off the gas? Could there be other options that they like more? It's certainly worth um, discussing because I have a hard time believing if Kansas and Auburn want you, you would voluntarily go play at Cal. I mean, I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think that that's how this basketball world works, especially when you look at Cal was a historically bad Pac-12 team this past year. Three for three, uh, three and twenty-nine on the year. Two of eighteen, uh, two and eighteen in conference play. I think Auburn is going to look to continue to add um, players to that three position. I think Jalen Tyson's on that list. Maybe I think there might be names that we don't know about. There certainly might be, because I I, I wonder where things sit on that board because we know Auburn has at least three scholarships available at least three maybe four depending on what Alan Flanagan does and I, I like I said I do not believe Alan Flanagan in my mind is going to be on this roster I believe Auburn is going to add two maybe three more players I think Bruce Pearl said yesterday he'd be surprised if they use all 13 scholarships which is fine because you don't use the entire 13 on the um, in your rotation. I mean, let's look at the fact that this past year, you had Chance Westry not play any in the back half of the year. Yoan Treor's role was totally eliminated. Stretch acting Bola barely got on the court across his entire time at Auburn. I just don't think you need to fill all 13 scholarships. It gives you some flexibility in this 24 class, which, by the way, I still think has a chance to be very special. You have to Todd Pettiford, the five-star point guard, extremely explosive and quick, can shoot a little bit. You're in it for a guy like Flory Badunga, who is a top four player in the country, like top center in the, in the country as well. That would be... I think that would go a long, a long way to making people feel better about the loss of Peyton Marshall, which I do think is a little more of a mutual split between Auburn uh, and Auburn and um, Peyton Marshall. You also lost LeBaron Filan. I think that had to do with playing time, in my opinion, with bringing in a couple guys who. In theory, could play a couple years in Denver Jones and Chaney Johnson. I think Chaney Johnson theoretically could play three more years. I don't know exactly, um, but I think if you land on, if you hit on a guy like Dylan Harper or another name, you have a chance. This twenty four twenty five roster, I think, has a chance to be truly elite if everything falls in place. We're gonna hit an early break here to, to uh, our final break of hour number one, we might be able to get an uh, impromptu guest on, on the phone line here. So we will try to make that happen. We'll talk a little Auburn football in the transfer portal if possible here on On the Line. 
on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Welcome back to On the Line here on this wonderful uh, this wonderful Wednesday. As uh, Apparently I may have jinxed us. I didn't realize that I got a text saying that the rain may be starting at 3. So it may be starting here in a few minutes uh, in Auburn. So I, I jinxed that. Our phone lines are apparently struggling today, so apologies for that. We are <laughs> tried to call out, and people have tried to call in, apparently, and it uh, is not going through, so we will not be able to get our impromptu guest on the show. But I do want to talk about uh, Auburn football and the transfer portal because I think there is a lot of maybe apprehension and hesitation from the Auburn fans about how slow this portal period appears to be going and I think it's slow for everybody I really do I mean at the quarterback position the only real movement that I can think of off the top of my head is we saw Chance Nolan the Oregon State transfer quarterback transferred at TCU which I do find interesting because uh, Chandler Morris uh, Chad Morris's son won that job last year or at least was splitting it and he was the guy first guy to take a snap in the 22 season he got banged up and um it, it created a path for Max Duggan. So maybe things at TCU with Chandler Morris may not be uh, the best we have seen. I know that there is a lot of, of concern about Auburn and the transfer portal because we know Auburn has to continue to add via the portal. We know that Auburn needs to add a body or two on the offensive line. We know Auburn needs some receivers or to upgrade at that receiver position. But the bad news there is the TCU transfer receiver. Uh, he has canceled, I believe he has canceled his visit to Auburn. I still think Auburn is after guys like um, Auburn. I, I think he actually ended up committing. There was a TCU transfer receiver that, that committed to Minnesota. Um, in Dylan Wright, I don't, I can't recall if that's the. I think it's Jordan Hudson is the one that was going to be on campus at Auburn. I think he is going to. All signs t- seem to point to SMU uh, as he received a crystal ball prediction on two four seven to SMU here recently. So it looks like he might be trying to stay in the Dallas area. But when you Look at this portal period. It's been slow. There have not been that many players that have hit the portal. Auburn has needs it needs to address. They've got they got Jaheim Thomas on campus. They got him on campus. I think they have uh, offered a couple offensive linemen and Jaden Muskrat and uh, Emmanuel Pregnon. A couple guys who I think I think Pregnon from listening to some people and talking to some people. I think he would have a chance to come in and start immediately. I think he might have a chance to come in and potentially pick his starting role if he were to come to Auburn, whether it be left guard or right guard. He was that all that freshman All-American guard out of Wyoming this past year. Um, Jaden Muskrat was a tackle at Tulsa, so there's some f- familiarity there. He played with Dylan Wade at Tulsa. He played for uh, Philip Montgomery. Oh, it looks like uh, I actually missed the news that Pregnon may have gone to 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 TCU. Appreciate uh, Zach Blackerby giving me the 
uh, scoop there via via text message. Uh, but you you have Jaden Muskrat as a potential addition for Auburn. I would I would look for Auburn to continue to to try to add. Uh, as we got word that there is an area outage with the phone lines right now, and Wow is working to fix that, so we were. That's why we are unable to call out. Um, so we may not be able to get either of our scheduled guests at three o'clock or three thirty, and Trey Wallace without kick and Daryl Dapperich on the line. So um, that we will we will kind of fly by by the seat of our pants there and try to uh, figure out if if it gets fixed by then. But Jaden Muskrat's a guy who I think can kind of be that third tackle for Auburn. I think you feel good about Dylan Wade. I think you feel good about Gunnar Britton. But I do think you need another body. You need somebody who, if one of those guys were to go down, you feel confident turning to somebody else to fill a need, to fill a role on the offensive line. Uh, and it helps to have a guy who can kind of is versatile and can play up and down the interior of the offensive line as well. We know Auburn has, um, we know that Jeremiah Wright, it seems to me, will start at one of the guard positions. It seems right now Tate Johnson could start the right guard position. Maybe Cam Stutz is involved as well. But Connor Liu is a guy who I think has impressed. I mean, you you don't see many freshman offensive linemen that get the shout-outs that Connor Liu got this spring. I mean, he was called a home run by Hugh Freeze. And he he was a center in high school. He can play the center position. We know he got reps at guard. Maybe he's that versatile guy for you. Maybe he's capable of if something happens to Avery Jones, if something happens to Jeremiah Wright, if something happens to Tate Johnson, he can fill in a role. He can fill in a role, and he can help you a lot. He can, um, as a freshman, take significant snaps if called upon, and and it not be a disaster. Over the past several years for Auburn, when that's that starting offensive line that has not been spectacular, when guys have gotten hurt, it feels like it's been a scramble for Auburn. And it's just kind of throwing bodies out there and trying to figure out what works. And it hasn't worked very often. At the wide receiver wide receiver position, you you know you have Javarius Johnson, who I think is your is a known commodity at this point. He was your leading receiver last year. Small, quick guy, runs great routes. Actually was a decent deep ball threat this past year. I think Camden Brown has emerged as your wide receiver one. It's just a matter of staying healthy and keep staying on the field. I think at the tight end position, you feel very good about Rivaldo Fairweather. You've got a bunch of veteran guys in that room. Could we see multiple tight end sets? Could we see Fairweather lined up out wide trying to help with that? The lack of known commodities and sure things at the wide receiver position. That's why I think Auburn needs to go continue to add. I think they will look into that more and more here over the coming days as we know the portal closes on Sunday Auburn has to add a an edge rusher and probably a defensive end or defensive lineman somebody who can fill the the void left by Jeffrey Imba I think Jaheim Thomas the the Cincinnati linebacker could be a guy 
that Auburn looks to to fill that edge rusher role. He had his official visit, I think, over this past weekend. Um, and that would be something that Auburn would definitely welcome. you got to add somebody there. You need depth. You can't go into this season with two jacks that you feel solid about. And right now, that's Elijah McAllister, and that's the the freshman um, whose name is escaping me right now, actually, um, that, that came in and has really impressed so far. Really, really been impressive. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find his name here. Don't worry. Um, Keldrick Falk should have known that one, but I think he's come in. He's been bigger and stronger than expected. His lower body is huge. We got to see him at practice. Uh, he does not look the part of a freshman. He's coming from a smaller class of football, so it may take a little bit of time for him to round into form. Once live bullets are flying. And live snaps are taking place against opposing teams. But I think there's also a decent shot he ends up being your starter at the jack position because I think his ceiling is that high. That's going to do it for hour number one. We come back, we will continue to talk some Auburn football. Well, I guess we're going to try to see if we can get our guest Trey Wallace on the phone, but I don't think those phone lines are working. But we're going to continue to talk Auburn football and maybe some of the other things happening around the SEC. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goetz and Carter Bird. You're on the line here in the Auburn Network studio. Carter Bird solo in the show here today because my good buddy uh, Jacob Goins, he is on the road calling some Lee Scott Academy baseball uh, as they have they've gotten pretty deep into the season. They, they've had a pretty strong year. They are 24 and nine on the year, seven to five in region play uh, as they take. Uh, I think they – I forget who they take on. They might be playing Fortdale, I want to say, uh, on AU100. Uh, that's 100.3 FM, uh, AU100FM.com and the AU100 app. I think that gets rolling at 3.30 for my buddy Jacob Goins if you want to keep track of that. Uh, we are experiencing a phone outage if you're trying to call uh, into the show, so apologies for that. Apparently, WOW is having an area outage. Uh, and they are working on fixing it. That has kept us from having our three uh, guests on the show so far, or our two guests so far. Uh, one of them was going to be impromptu. We were hoping to get Zach Blackerby of Locked On Auburn on the line to talk some Auburn football on the transfer portal. Uh, and then we uh, were supposed to have Trey Wallace of Outkick 
on uh, to start this hour. Unfortunately, we are unable to get either on the phone line, uh, as frustrating as that is. Uh, but we, we've been talking Auburn football a little bit here going to uh, the end of the first hour. And I want to pick up that conversation because I do think that the portal has been slow, and I think now Auburn fans are starting to maybe get a little bit uh, spooked. There's a little ap- apprehension there. There is some worry because none of the needs that we have heard about, the wide receiver position, the quarterback position, uh, the D- the jack position, defensive line, maybe another body on the offense line, none of it's been addressed yet. I think there's still time. The portal doesn't close till Sunday. I think you will see uh, an influx in in their an influx in portal entries here over the next few days uh, as that that deadline gets closer and closer. I think we 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 talked about the offensive line. We talked about wide receiver already uh, as Auburn I think is continuing to pursue the. Colorado transfer uh, receiver. I think it's Tyson. Um, I think they're pursuing some other guys like that. And Auburn's going to try to upgrade there, try to add some pieces that they feel confident in. Jordan Tyson is his name. I want to say somebody tried to – I don't know if this is true or not. Somebody tried to tell me that he is the brother of Jalen Tyson, the Texas Tech uh, transfer basketball player. And if that's the case, that'd be kind of cool to to add both of them uh, to Auburn teams and they could be on campus at the same time. That would be uh, certainly fascinating if that were to work out. Um, they're both Texas kids, so I have no clue if that's actually true or not. But J- uh, Jordan Tyson was, I think he had 500 yards receiving this past year for um I guess the last two games of the year, he had 125 yards uh, in those two games alone. 22 receptions, 470 yards, and four touchdowns this past year as a true freshman. This is part of a bigger debate about what is taking place at Colorado. I think um, if you see what's going on, Auburn may have dodged a bullet not bringing in Deion Sanders, which I do think is... A different. I think they dodged a bullet not getting Lane Kiffin. I don't think Lane Kiffin, the Lane Kiffin era, is going to continue on the um, the path that had this meteoric rise and stabilized a little bit last year without Matt Corral. I think there was a lot put on uh, having a really good quarterback in Matt Corral in year and that that year where they really broke out. Not sure they're going to be there again. Colorado has. I mean, De- Deion told you he told he told the team in the opening meeting he's bringing his luggage with him, and he said it's Louie, and uh, they're gonna push some guys out. Well, I want to say by last count, since Deion Sanders has been on campus at Colorado, they have had forty-one players transfer out. Forty-one. That's insane. Insane. And some of those are definitely them pushing people out, trying to upgrade. That's definitely true. That's definitely something that has happened. But I wonder I wonder what the culture is like when you have that many guys leaving. 
that many guys. 18 players entered the transfer portal yesterday from Colorado. Yesterday. That's insane. That's absolutely, or I guess it was two days ago, rather, on Monday. So the Monday after their spring game. You had 40, you had 18 players into the portal and got the number up to 41. That can't be healthy for a culture in a locker room. It can't be. There's no way. I don't think the Deion Sanders experience is going to go all that well at Colorado with what we're seeing. And I don't think they have the easiest schedule of all time. I think their win total was at five and a half. I think it's now dropped to four and a half for this upcoming season. But you open the year at TCU, a team that just went to the national championship game. And yes, they lost plenty of pieces, but they're still significantly more talented than you. I don't see that going well. That Nebraska game is going to be really fascinating. Two teams trying to return to a level of prominence that they saw in the 80s and 90s. Matt Rule, year one, versus Deion Sanders, year one. That'll be a curious one. I don't, I probably give the edge to Nebraska as of right now. But then you've got to play USC. You got to play at Oregon against Bo Nix. You got to go to Arizona State, to UCLA, an Oregon State team with a new, more talented quarterback in DJU. That's going to be a tough one as well. Then you got to go to Utah. This season's not going to go well for Colorado. I think we all need to pump the brakes a little bit. I know they put the Colorado spring game on ESPN and it got a bunch of eyeballs and they sold out the the stadium. They're not going to be good. And when, when Deion Sanders doesn't have instant success, when he doesn't win, how does that affect him? How does that affect him? Does Because I, I, we haven't really seen a situation where he's had to dig a team out of being legitimately maybe the worst Power 5 team in America. Used to be Kansas. Used to be Kansas. But Kansas is not at that point right now. Leipold's done an unbelievable job there. But this is a team in Colorado that went 1-11 and last year. Their only win was in overtime against a really bad Cal team that could not score, that went 4-8 and eight last year. So I know you can turn over the roster at an unprecedented level in modern college football. It's something everybody has the chance to do. But 41 transfers out. I don't even know how many transfers in. It's certainly a lot. I'm I'm, going to pull it up actually right now. Let's see where this this team, this Colorado team, how many players they have had come in via the transfer portal with those 41 going out the door. Right now, they have the number one transfer portal class. Part of that's because they have 29 transfers coming in. 29. We talk a lot about Eric Musselman at Arkansas in basketball. How nobody revamps a roster via the transfer portal more than he does. 
And at one point, they had contacted, I think, 84 players in the transfer portal. This basketball portal period, and I'm sure it's close to 100, if not higher than that by now, because that was three weeks ago when that number came out. This is Eric Musselman of football. It's a big-name coach. Eric Musselman was an NBA head coach. Comes in and tries to build the roster via transfer portal. And Dion has said as much. He wants to build it 40% grad transfers, 40% transfers, 20% high school. I don't see how that's sustainable. I don't see how that gives you a ceiling of anything higher than... I mean, I think your ceiling doing that would probably be 8-4. and four, Maybe 9-3. and three. But it sure as heck's not going to start in year one. It's just not. They'll have a lot of fans there. They'll get a lot of time on ESPN and on different networks. They'll be one of the most talked about teams in America. But when you have 29 transfers coming in, 41 transfers out, and I haven't even looked at how many high school players are coming in the door. They have 19 high school players coming in. So they have 48 players coming into the program and 41 leaving. And I don't know where they are in their 85-man scholarship total. At some point, there's too much change. There's too much turnover. There's You're adding too many variables in a locker room. And I think it's difficult in a situation like that to build a close-knit roster, to build a close-knit team, to build a close-knit program. Because, in my opinion, the one thing that can take you over the top, if all things are equal, in terms of talent, in terms of coaching, having guys that know each other, been around each other for a while, are close, there's good chemistry, they know what, having players that know what each other are thinking because they've they've been in the film room together, they've been in the meeting room together, they've been on the field in practice together, they've been on the field in game together. I think having really good team chemistry, having guys that know each other, it can be what pushes you over the top. And right now, at Colorado, the majority of that roster in 2023 they don't know who the heck each other are. They, they don't know at all because there's 48 new guys out of an 85-man scholarship pool. 48. We haven't seen anything like this ever. And I'm not convinced right now it's going to succeed. And maybe it'll be a little bit of trial and error. And maybe it does not work early. And maybe he adjusts. But we've never seen somebody successfully build a roster the way that Deion Sanders is trying to build it. We've never seen it. We saw Jake Spavadol at Texas State try. He had one class where he landed like 24, 25 transfers and one high school player. It made high school coaches in Texas really upset because don't know if we all know this, but They care a lot about high school football in in Texas. And when you are an in-state school, you don't take any of your in-state high school players. 
not a great recipe for success. Well, a couple years later, Jake Spavadol has been fired. He's now the offensive coordinator at Cal. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out for Colorado. Uh, I know Auburn is going after Jordan Tyson, the wide receiver from Colorado, who I think could come in and play. I don't think he's going to be a superstar for Auburn, but I think he could play a serviceable role. But I am I'm the more I think about it, the more just fascinated I am about Colorado. You saw the they had a six seven, two hundred thirty-five pound transfer tight end who hit the portal. And in his tweet yesterday, I believe, he said to coaches out there trying to recruit me, I'm I'm sorry, I don't have my film. I don't have my film. Because the head coach at Colorado, the head coach at CU, is not allowing me to get my film. So I don't have film to show you. I guess you, you're, you're going to have to go off his high school tape and his raw size. But I don't love that. I don't think that is something that uh, is great. I think his name was Zachary Courtney. His tweet yesterday said, For the coaches who are trying to recruit me, I am sorry, but I will not be able to get y'all my film from my practices last season since I am not allowed to have it because the head coach at CU does not allow, won't allow it. This is very unlucky. And if you have any questions, just text me. And then he, I think he went on to clarify that it was not a shot at Dion. It's just he had to put that message out there because that's why he doesn't have any film. I don't love that. I don't love that because you're, as a college football coach, you are supposed to be there. Yes, you're there to win. Yes, you're there to win. But you're supposed to be there for the kids too. You're supposed to be helping them, giving them an avenue to go to college for free. Maybe giving them an avenue to potentially go professional. Go play in the NFL. Or the XFL or the USFL or the CFL. All these other leagues that are now exist. You're supposed to be helping build high caliber young men. And hindering a kid from being able to transfer because you don't want, you won't allow him to have his practice film from last year when you weren't even the coach. is such a stupid move. That's so dumb. They're not going to run the same scheme. They're not. I just, I, I hate that move by Deion Sanders. I think... The more we see the movement, the 41 players transferring out, the more we hear stories like that. I do wonder if there will come a point in time where there's a little more hesitation where, do I really want to go to Colorado? I mean, sure, like, the idea of playing for Deion Sanders, it sounds awesome. But the more stuff starts to come out, I mean, it sounds like he'll kind of discard you without a moment's thought. 
And he won't give you the things you need to help get recruited somewhere else when he does discard you. I have my concerns if I was Colorado and Deion Sanders. I have my concerns about the level of success they can have. We need to hit our first break of our number two. When we come back, we will revisit the question of the day. Uh, I know that maybe you may not be able to call in, but we will still talk about Auburn basketball upcoming in this next season. You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. Welcome back to On the Line on this Wednesday. Uh, Talking Auburn basketball, question of the day. I know you may not be able to call in because we have a phone outage in the area, Uh, but I asked in the first hour, just how good can this Auburn basketball roster, this Auburn basketball team get in 2023-2024 for this upcoming season? I think they can get significantly better. I think Bruce Pearl's doing a great job addressing the flaws of his team this past year and really of the past two years because the flaw was three-point shooting. It didn't really get addressed this past year. Uh, The flaw was guard play, and we've seen him address that already with Aiden Holloway coming in the door. I think you feel pretty good about Trey Donaldson at this point in time. And then you bring in Denver Jones at the two-guard position. Somebody who can give walk in, give you instant scoring, can immediately upgrade your roster. You lacked length last year. You've already addressed that to an extent. You have you have Denver Jones coming in at 6'4, which makes him the biggest player you had at the three this past year. I know Zep Jasper was. 6-2, but he also was a total non-factor on the offensive end. And Zepp Jasper, one of my favorite Auburn players in recent history, and it has nothing to do with his ability. That guy just loved Auburn. He loved Auburn. He was extremely grateful for the opportunity to finish his career here. He gave it everything he had. He was... A great glimpse into the program. Gave great interviews. He cared about people. And I wish him nothing but luck as he tries to pursue a professional career. And, I mean, he's he's somebody that I hope things work out for him in the future. It would not shock me to see him one day become a coach. It would not shock me to see him be a coach on Auburn's coaching staff at some point. I mean, he can come back and be a GA, get a third degree, because I think he was in school for like six or seven years with the COVID years and everything. But I think Zepp Jasper, I mean, Denver Jones, the jump from Denver Jones to Zepp Jasper, Denver Jones is a little bit bigger, a little bit longer. I don't know exactly how the defensive games compare, but the the what you gain on the offensive end, what you gain shooting threes at 37.1% is huge. It's so big. It's very valuable. 
because then you can start to space the floor a little bit more. Maybe that lets a guy like Aiden Holloway get downhill, get to the rim. Maybe that lets Katie Johnson get downhill, get to the rim. Maybe that makes life easier on Janai Broom. Then you also bring in Chaney Johnson, guy who's a 37% three-point shooter for his career at UAH, 6 foot 7, 215 pounds. He's got the physical body you want to see in the SEC. I think he's a guy that's versatile. I think he can play the three or he can play the four. My gut feeling continues to be that he's going to play a lot of four this upcoming season. Because as of, as of right now, you either have to add a four or you are having a discussion about 6'5 Chris Moore at the backup four or 6'7 Chaney Johnson. And I think you're going to lean Chaney Johnson on that. I think he adds more shooting, adds more length. I think he can be very, very, very solid player. Who knows? He might be able to start if he pushes Jalen Williams hard enough and Jalen Williams does not respond. Jalen Williams has a gear in him. And I think sometimes sometimes when he just plays off pure instinct and just reacts, you see the freakish athletic ability. I think it's about belief and confidence. And having that mentality, having that dog in him, if he finds it, we're talking about a top five player potentially in the SEC next year in my mind. But you add those guys. I like what you've done there. I think you've added length. You've added shooting. I think this roster is already improved. You've added playmaking. And there's still pieces to add. And I will continue to say this as well. The way Auburn is adding pieces you're going to be significantly better in 23-24. I think you will be a top 15 caliber team when it's all said and done. But I think what it really does is it primes you for an unbelievable roster in 24-25. I think if things continue to break the way they can for Auburn, we could be talking about an Auburn team that might have a top five ceiling. You might be thinking about, could this team make a deep tournament run? Could this team find its way to Auburn's second Final Four? I think that they, that if things continue to break that way, you'll be much improved this year, and you can be primed if you just hit a couple home runs in recruiting for an unbelievable team in 24-25. We need to get to our next break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of... Uh, we're going to talk some Auburn baseball and some Braves here on On the Line. You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Welcome back to the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Carter Bird in the Auburn Network studio. Solo in the show today because Jacob Goins is on the road calling Lee Scott Academy Baseball. I think they're playing Fort Dale, if I recall correctly, on AU100. Uh, that's 100.3 FM. AU100FM.com and the AU100 app. I think they are just underway as their games typically start right at 3.30 if you want to keep track of of that 
Uh, unfortunately, if you're trying to call in, you cannot today because WOW is having a phone outage very conveniently on this day that we were going to have three really good guests on the, on the phone lines, uh, unable to get any of them on the line. We were supposed to have Zach Blackerby on to end hour number one uh, with Locked on Auburn. We were supposed to have Trey Wallace without kick on to start hour number two. Uh, and we were supposed to have Daryl Daprich, the Montgomery Radio legend, uh, to start, or last, actually this segment right now. Uh, but unfortunately, we are not able to dial out and get them on the phone line. So we were unable to uh, get them on the phone lines. Hopefully we can have them all back on here soon once the phone lines are fixed. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Braves um, because the Braves have had a great year so far. They're 16-8. and eight. They've taken the first two games. They bounced back from the four-game losing streak, losing game three to the Padres, one to nothing, and getting swept in a three-game set by the Astros uh, in three straight games, 6-4, 6-3, and 5-2. They bounced back from that against the Marlins. They win game one, 11-0, thanks to some great pitching and an explosive day with the offense uh, in game one, we saw um, home runs all over the place. Sean Murphy, uh, Sam Hilliard, uh, Eddie Rosario, Sam Hilliard again, actually. Austin Riley as well. And then you had an Ozzie Albies triple in the eighth inning that rounded out the scoring. So five home runs and a, what, three RBI triple uh, is what powered the Braves to that 11-0 victory. We saw some great pitching out of Spencer Strider, who went eight innings of two-hit baseball, 13 strikeouts. As he went eight innings on 101 pitches, that's pretty strong. Uh, as his ERA is now 1-8-0 to start the year, um, as the Braves were able to hold them scoreless two nights ago, and then last night they were able to pick up another win, seven to four as uh, they got the scoring going early um, in the first four innings. They were able to build a 4-1 to lead, this time without the home run early. A couple singles, uh, or three sing- singles and a double to score those first four runs. Uh, then you saw the power come on a little bit later. Zazie Albies got a homer. Eddie Rosario hit a home run. And Ozzie Albies hit a second home run there in the eighth inning as well. Uh, and they hung on to a 7-4 victory, a little bit of a late-inning rally by the Marlins as they tacked on three runs in the 8-9th, and ninth, uh, but the Braves were able to hang on to a 7-4 to four victory. And look, this Braves lineup is just so good right now. You start with Ronald Acuna, who's hitting 364 on the year. He's hitting doubles. He's stealing bases. He has 13 stolen bases this year. I mean, it's really it's really impressive uh, what he's doing. Fully healthy. I mean, I think this is this is 100% Ronald Acuna this year. Last year, coming off the ACL tear, I think it was. It's probably difficult to ask him to return to MVP form. Uh, Matt Olson, who's hitting in the 260s right now, he's got that that power in the two hole. Um, We've seen how hot he can get in certain stretches in time. Austin Riley, a little bit below where his average normally is at, but he 
it has been an MVP candidate these past two years. Sean Murphy's the powers really turned around. It was a slow start first few games, but we've seen him really come along here, hitting in that fourth spot. Eddie Rosario starting to get going. Uh, Ozzy Albies coming off his injury riddled last season. A couple home runs last night. You got to feel pretty good about it as we move forward. Of course, Vaughn Grissom, uh, but Sam Hilliard's been been the surprising find so far this year. Just kind of a throw in trade. Uh, brought him over, and he's really he really seems to have found a home in this Braves outfield to start this season, uh, and it's been impressive. I mean, he's hitting three twenty seven this season to start the year. Um, he is sixteen of forty nine with three home runs, six RBIs, four stolen bases, but he's getting on base, he's hitting for a high average. His OPS is 992 right now. You can't ask for much more, especially when the guy, he had his 27 games as a rookie in 2019 where he slugged over 1,000. But since then, his highest mark, which was in 214 plate appearances in 2021, was his OPS was 757, and that's in Coors. That's in Coors, which benefits a lot. But his OPS plus that adjusts for for the park that you play in. In his since his rookie year, he hasn't. He's been a below average hitter so far through 49 at bats of 2023. He's got an OPS plus of 164. 100 is average, so he's well above average. That's been the huge find as Michael Harris starts to starts his rehab uh, his rehab assignment here right right around now. I think it may have already started, uh, but as this Braves team gets back to full strength, because they've done what they've done this year without being at full strength, you got to feel really good about this team. They have one of the best records in baseball. They are 16-8. and eight. That puts them tied with, interestingly enough, uh, something we all had on our bingo cards 24 games into the year. They are tied with the Baltimore Orioles and the Pittsburgh Pirates for the second-best record in baseball behind the 20-4 Tampa Bay Rays who are a freight train right now, who, yes, they did just lose last night. But they've been unbelievable so far this year. They dropped game two against the Astros in their series last night, five to nothing after getting an eight to three win in game one. Um, But this Braves team, the way that they have managed to rack up wins despite the injuries, it's really impressive. And you're still, you widened your one-game lead in the division last night. You're now two games clear of the Mets. You're four games clear of the Marlins, who you've taken the first two against. And you've, I mean, if you just continue to keep that distance while you get back healthy, this Braves team is primed for a huge, huge, huge season 
and I think they've they've got a chance because I think they are firmly in a championship window right now. Firmly, they won it two years ago. Last year started really rough. You saw them claw all the way back. When the when the division didn't pan out in the postseason, but you're young. Everybody's locked up for a long amount of time, it seems. You're in a really, really, really good spot. And I think that this Braves team, once they get back to full strength, they're going to be a problem for everybody in Major League Baseball. And they'll be in the conversation late in the postseason, in my mind. They've got game three uh, tonight at 620 Eastern as they try to get the three-game sweep of the Marlins. It's going to be Bryce Elder on the mound taking on the reigning Cy Young Award winner, Sandy Alcantara. Very good player uh, there, a guy who is unbelievable. It's just a shame he's on a Marlins team that is not great. Uh, The Braves are actually favored, despite the fact that they're seeing Alcantara on the mound. Uh, Can this offense do enough? to help Bryce Elder get a win. See, he's 2-0 on the year. ZRA is super low through his very small sample size. Uh, just a 1-1-4 ERA. Um, it'll be great to see if the Braves can get this sweep and have some really positive momentum uh, heading into the weekend. And that, I mean, there's two more games, actually. So... If they can round out a four-game sweep heading into the Mets series, that'd be a whole lot of fun for for this Atlanta Braves team. Let's transition to Auburn baseball, who coming off their uh, series win against Mississippi State in which they did something really impressive on Sunday. They were down seven runs, and they come back and win the game 12-11. It's just a credit to this offense that has been so good for most of the year. If your pitching staff matched them, we'd be talking about a top 15, top 10 Auburn team. But the pitching staff has not matched them at all. They got the 2-1 win on Friday where the staff threw well. You lose 11-10 to in a game that you almost come back and win at the end. And then you win game three, 12-11. Uh, you're continued to be powered by Bryce Ware. Bryson Ware, rather, who continues to hit home runs, continues to be a very clutch bat for this Auburn baseball team. So you come off that, and last night you have Troy, uh, and it didn't go well. It didn't go well. You built a 6-1 to lead in the first inning. 6-1 to lead, and then top of the second, you give up four runs, and all of a sudden it's a ball game. Troy takes an 8-6 to lead in the sixth inning. You tack one on in the seventh and unable to scratch across an extra run to continue the game or a couple runs to win the game. I'm not putting that on the on the hitters. Uh, they got on base. They got some hits. They scored plenty of runs to win the game. The pitching staff that continues to be an issue, Hayden Murphy, two innings, five earned runs, uh, a couple walks, gave up five hits. And um, he hit a batter as well. So, I mean, you let you allow eight base runners in the first two innings, you're going to give up some runs. Parker Carlson comes in, 
He ends up getting tagged with the loss, uh, which is tough considering he and his three and a third gave up just two runs compared to Hayden Murphy's five. Uh, he walked three. He had three strikeouts, and he allowed just a single hit. Um, I mean, that's not an awful performance out of him. He's just got a little unlucky. Uh, Drew Nelson came in. Not a great performance of him for by him. He gave you two-thirds of an inning, gave up another run. Um, he walked a batter, gave up a hit. Chase Isabel was pretty good late when he came in. He gives you three three innings of scoreless relief. A uh, couple walks, couple hits, three strikeouts, hit a batter. Uh, but he worked around it, and he kept you in the game. But the problem is, from pitcher to pitcher, you don't know what you're getting any given moment. Any given outing by any guy. You can, you can have a bad... Like, Auburn's pitchers have too many bad days. The bad days are too consistent. There's too much inconsistency out of the entire staff. And the, you have to throw so many arms out there. And when you're having to turn to these college-age pitchers, these young pitchers as well, when you're having to turn to three, four, five of them a game, sometimes more, eventually you're going to run into that guy who's having an off day. And he's going to give up four or five runs. In bad games, you might run into two or three of them. And then you're having to score 12 runs to beat Mississippi State on Sunday. But Auburn really needs to bounce back. It was a tough day for for the SEC, by the way. The SEC had a really tough midweek as Auburn lost to Troy. Uh, I think you had LSU lose to Nichols State. Texas A&M lost to Sam Houston State. And Arkansas lost to Missouri State. But this Auburn team desperately needs to bounce back this weekend and figure out a way on the road at number two South Carolina to scrape away a win. Two wins feels like a pipe dream at this point. If you find a way to do it, unbelievable job. But you have to get one this weekend. I don't know which game it's going to come in because this Auburn team's been so up and down. It's probably not going to happen on Sunday because I think Sunday may have been Auburn's first Sunday win in SEC play. But Auburn's got to find a way to bounce back this weekend against South Carolina. It's going to be a very tough task. This is a really, really good South Carolina team. But you got to find a way to get one because the week after that, you get LSU at home. You get number one and number two back to back. It's going to be a challenge. And this Auburn team has to find a way to navigate it. I mean, you're going to see two of the best three, depending on where you put Wake Forest teams in the country, over your next six baseball games. you got to find a way to take two. If you find a way to take three, you did an unbelievable job. And you would keep hopes of the postseason alive, you'd have to really handle business against Ole Miss and Missouri. You got to get to 14 wins. You got to get to 14 wins. I think you have a 68% chance to make the make the NCAA tournament with 14 wins. Can this Auburn team get there? They're 7-11 right now. It's going to be a challenge. But you got to find a way to take one out of these next two series. You got to get win two of the next six to feel good that you have a chance 
over your last six games to make the postseason. We need to hit our final break here of On the Line. When we come back, we will wrap up the show and get you set for the drive. You are On the Line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Welcome back to the final segment of On the Line here today. Carter Bird solo in the last two hours here in the Auburn Network studio. Apologies for the phone outage today. Uh, WOW is apparently having an area outage and they are working to fix it. I have no clue if that will be fixed at any point during the uh, drive. It was not working for us today, uh, but hopefully it'll be back online tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, I think we might be at full strength. I think. Um, I think Jacob Goins might be back, but he is he is out today. Um, he's out today calling Lee Scott Academy uh, baseball as they take on Fort Dale on the road. Uh, that is on AU100. Uh, that's 100.3 FM. AU100FM.com and the AU100 app. They are about 20, 24, 25 minutes uh, underway right now. As I think they might have a doubleheader um, if you want to check that out. Uh, we, we had a great show today, uh, despite not being able to get any of our three guests on the line, uh, on the phone line, that is. We uh, talked a lot about Auburn basketball. Uh, Matthew Cleveland, the FSU transfer wing, is on campus right now for his visit. That'd be another welcome addition to this Auburn basketball team that is trying to uh, address its needs, bring in some length, bring in some shooting, uh, bring in some playmaking and some scoring ability. Matthew Cleveland, I think, addresses most of those needs. He's not the best three-point shooter of all time, but he is, uh, when you look at it, he is better than Auburn's average last year of 31 point, I believe, 6%, from deep. He was 35% this past year at FSU, so he'd be a better shooter than most of what Auburn has seen. Uh, and I think when you put him on a team with Aiden Holloway, with Trey Donaldson handling the point guard duties, with Denver Jones shooting 37% from deep with Chaney Johnson shooting 37% at the four position and Jalen Williams shooting 35 and a half, I think 35.6 maybe percent from three. When you put him on the court with other three-point shooting guys and he's less of the emphasis, would that help him? I think that would be certainly be something I would expect. Uh, he'd be a very welcome addition to this team as I think Auburn's going to go add at least two more transfers uh, in the basketball portal. The football portal's been very quiet. I think that's going to heat up here over the coming days as we know that it all comes to a close on Sunday when the transfer portal uh, finally closes. Again, they don't have to be committed to you by Sunday, but they have to be in the portal. Uh, Auburn has some needs it definitely needs to address at quarterback, wide receiver, an extra offensive lineman on the defensive line, an edge rusher, maybe a safety. Uh, will certainly be interesting to watch here over the coming days. That's going to do it for today's episode of On the Line. Uh, thank you for joining me uh, in the Auburn Network studio. This has been Carter Bird. Coming up next, The Drive with Bill Cameron.